Welcome back, everyone, to ShuttlePod episode 68. This is the big one. I am one of your co-hosts, Jared, and I'm joined by three of the most spectacular Star Trek fans in the world. We've got Lori. Hello. And Kayla. Hey, guys. And the inimitable Matt. Ooh, inimitable. Yeah, I wanted to give you a superlative because I saved you to the end. I didn't want you to feel left out. Oh, it's always nice. like a, it's a little surprise like who's gonna get the inimitable I know who's <laughs> oh get it? have I said awesome. inimitable yeah. before I need to get out some different well, well or a superlative of some sort it's always oh, nice thank when you, you. Do. yeah thank we're you. always like oh he picked me this time <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll be sure to spread more love next time so today <laughs> is June 25th 2019 and a month and a half ago was the 10-year anniversary of something kind of important in the franchise just Namely, who, who who wants to cue it up what everybody already knows because they've seen the title of our podcast? Star Trek 2009. Star Trek 2009. Woo! It has been 10 years since that came out. How do we feel about that? that was scary. That's scary. Isn't it? Yeah. 10 years. It does not feel like 10 years ago. Yeah, it's th- this. Uh, it's been more time since since this came out than... Any of the Berman era shows last ran right because they were those the three main ones were only seven years, so Oof. it's been it's been a decent chunk of time, um, and we we want to do a little setup to talk about the film. We're going to talk about our reactions at the time, how maybe our thoughts have changed uh, in the last decade, and then we're also going to take a little moment to talk about TrekMovie.com, which owes its existence to mm-hmm. the 2009 movie. Mm-hmm. But before we, we get into that, we wanted to give a little um, uh, sort of an overview or overviews of the movie to make sure everybody <laughs> it's fresh in everybody's mind. Star Trek, the very plainly titled Star Trek, release date May 8th, 2009. Written by Roberto Orsi and Alex Kurtzman. Directed by J.J. Abrams. Produced by J.J. Abrams and Damon Lindelof. Then we have a couple spectacular plot summaries that, that Kayla you wanted to read for us yeah so yeah normally like at the when we talk about deep dive of, of an episode um even a discovery episode that's really recent or you know a, another movie we like to read um a little short couple sentence synopsis at the beginning just to remind everyone of all the details the important details um and we actually had a hard time finding something like that for this film that was both short and accurate um so <laughs> I'll read what I guess is like the official coming out of the studio description, which is like a paragraph. So, Mm -hmm. all right, here's the description of official description of Star Trek 2009. The future begins a cataclysm in the 24th century throws two ships back in time to the 23rd century, altering the course of history with a different life where he never knew his father. James T. Kirk becomes a brilliant yet cynical misfit who was finally convinced to join Starfleet by Captain Christopher Pike in 2255. Like, this is already, like, so much detail. Yeah, and I'm halfway <laughs> way too much. Three, yeah. three years later, Kirk, Vulcan First Officer Spock, and the young crew of the USS Enterprise, with guidance from Spock's future self, must figure out a way to work together to prevent the one responsible for the death of Kirk's father, the... God, I catch my breath. Yeah. The future Romulan <laughs> known as Nero from destroying the Federation in a mad quest for vengeance. So that's... The official description of this film, which is Mad extremely yeah. complicated, so so that's and this w- oddly specific. This was not on a poster in a movie theater. <laughs> Correct. No, the only thing on the, the poster begins. was the future begins. That's actually that's a the great tagline. Tag yeah. 
Yeah. Eh, it's, yeah it's, I don't know. It's a pretty standard tagline, if you ask it, me. Yeah, it's, for, it's for, for trying to appeal to a wide audience, you shoot for the middle. Yeah. Yep. So, but yep. I also wanted to read this other one because we were looking, we're like, this is way too long. Can we find something a little more succinct? Um, and I wanted to read to you the IMDb description of this film. Um, and, and, and maybe we can discuss what we think about it. The brash James T. Kirk tries to live up to his father's legacy with Mr. Spock keeping him in check as a vengeful Romulan from the future creates black holes to destroy the Federation one planet at a time. Wow. Why? That... Which, I, so yeah, whoever a, wrote yeah. this did not watch the same movie that I watched. So Spock Prime is babysitting James uh-huh. C. Kirk, apparently. Or it doesn't even yeah, mention like, if it's Prime or not. Yeah. And, well, it doesn't, but I mean, obviously that's who that's referring to. It's just crazy. Well, and it's, it's kind of, he's trying to live up to his own legacy, right? Of the, his yeah, future like, legacy that that Spock Prime knows about, right? Like, those things sort of happen in the film, but that's not what the film is about at all. No. The Maybe film for isn't some about, people it was. <laughs> but Kirk living up to his father's legacy of being a captain well, for that is, 12 minutes? That is. I mean, that's what Pike, that's how Pike, like, basically goads him into joining. But would you say that's, like, that's what the movie's about? If someone says, what's 2009 no, no, no. about? You wouldn't be like, oh, it's Kirk no, not living at all. up to his father's legacy. No, well, no not at all. It, I just, like... But like that happens. Yeah, sure. that happens in yeah. the film, but it's interesting because to me that wasn't at all what it was about. But then you look at you know what happened with the new movie that isn't happening and how the goal was to kind of get back to that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. oh, I yeah. would say it obviously. Which I don't think anybody wants. But no, I don't think anybody wants, and I know I didn't want, and that yeah. wasn't what I found interesting about the movie or even particularly retained about it. But right. I think right. I think it was important to J.J. Abrams actually. Okay. Yes. I think it was to him too. Yeah, that's a good summary. So, so um, movie tagline elevator pitches notwithstanding, let's talk about everyone's general reaction to this. And this can be either memories you have from ten years ago, or if you've watched it more recently, any any reevaluations you've had. And let's uh, let's go uh, in alphabetical order. So I guess we'd start with with you, Kayla. Um. All right. So. It's hard. It's hard to sum up my general reaction to this film because, as you mentioned, it's really important to the franchise, um, and it was really important to our website and to this podcast eventually, um, mm-hmm. which has been a huge part of my life for the last twelve years. So, um, I think. Oh, I'll try to be more succinct than the than the first um, thing that I read about the film. <laughs> um, uh, I like the film for a lot of reasons. I think it is very important for the franchise. I think the trick that um, Orsi and Kurtzman used to make the Kelvinverse, to make this a parallel universe and allow us to still explore these characters is genius. Yes, yeah. I thought that was a, a fantastic idea, completely well uh, well executed and totally within the, you know, the canon of the Star Trek universe. Yep. Um, I, th- I think there are parts of the film that I don't particularly care for. I think it... Like, for my personal taste, it's it's too action oriented, um, and yeah. the story is too convoluted. But in general, as like a general audience popcorn flick that puts me back in the track universe and bolsters the franchise, I love it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good summary. And and that was the goal, right? This was not intended to wash the bad taste of Nemesis out of people's mouth. This was just to make people excited about Star Trek and maybe start watching it on Netflix. Yeah, it made me excited for the future of it. Well, yeah, this is for people who yeah, have never seen yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, which is a lot of people. I mean, seriously, this was like, let's look. Yeah, which is a lot of people. Like, let's start over. Yeah, Yeah. basically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Lori, you're you're next in the alphabet. What do you think? (laughs) Um, I remember being very, very excited about it. I was very nervous about it at the time. And then when I saw it, I was really happy. I agree that the device that they came up with to be able to restart the story was great. I always like taking a classic character and saying, what if this thing had happened to change that person's life? which was the Kirk story, which I thought was an interesting. I don't always like all the choices that they made along the way, but the idea for it I thought was great. I thought the casting was brilliant, Mm -hmm. and they made such fantastic choices for not Mm -hmm. just who they chose to play each character, but not all of them, but most of them had fantastic intros, like the first time you saw them was really big and great and memorable. And for me, there were too many uh, fistfights. I'm not my favorite thing about Star Trek. And there were like five of them mm-hmm. at least in one movie. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I and there are yes. certain scenes I didn't like, yes. but overall I just thought it was exciting. It was fun. I loved the jokes. I loved the references, the throwbacks. There was a lot of love for the original series, I would say, which I thought yeah. was yeah. really nice. And the only thing that was missing was like they did have a plot and a story, but it wasn't one of those like social context or morality. T- it was just like he's a bad guy and we got to fight him. No, not at Vengeance. all. Vengeance. Yeah. Um, okay, you say you didn't like the, the fist fights, but you did like the references. Are there any specific references that you, that really tickled you the right way that you thought were particularly clever? Um, I mean, I just, uh, I'm trying to, I mean, I'll have to note, like, as we go through it, I'll probably remember more because I took notes sure. as I went. Yeah, I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot. I was just wondering if, if there's anything particular. My, my favorite reference, just to interject, is the red shirt yes. who dies when they do the skydiving scene. Yeah, and that's his, that's the color jumpsuit. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, well, then he's he going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. Kirk and Sulu and this, and this ridiculous Australian stereotype who just can't wait to get in a fight. And you know, okay, oh, he's, he, he's, he's, he's not also, long for this Also, he had world. the charges, so of course he was going to die. Right. And sure, here I did. Sure, because I did remember Engineer another Olson, one I loved, which was uh, when they're asking about hand-to-hand combat, and Sulu says fencing, which I thought was yeah. a nice touch. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And and his space yeah. sword yes, is agreed. really cool. And it's like, and that is yeah. not a fencing sword. That's like <laughs> that's a katana, katana blade. So. Yeah, because, yeah. <laughs> but whatever, it's cool. Because um, if you really, I mean, the thing about a rapier is it's like a gentleman's weapon. Uh, it's not really designed for hacking someone to pieces. Yeah, you can't really uh, do combat. Yeah, I mean, a rapier yeah, is designed for, for, like, duels where you go to the first blood. It's not really for killing yeah. people. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. so, uh, uh, Matt, Matt, what are your general reactions? Uh, yeah. Then and now. So, so uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It, it's interesting how this movie is aged, too, because then I actually found some random notes I scribbled uh, no to myself way. in a Word document Ooh. as I was processing this. As I was processing watching this um, for the first time, like I remember, like I hit the elliptical one day and was like working through it. So I came home from the gym and like wrote some notes down. And as I was like mixed feelings about how I feel about you know rebooting this and stuff, and so I was looking back at it, of course, just before the podcast, thinking like, oh yeah, because it's funny how much time has changed some of that that I've just come to like accept it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like the way it is. Like okay, it's a reboot. Okay, fine. You know, like now we're just like sure, that's fine. But at the time, of course, that had never been done to Star Trek. Lots of other franchises have been reinvented. Yeah. But that was a big deal. Um, I think even now I still echo some of the thoughts, which is like, yes, it's way – there's parts of it that are just too 
slam bang like we just have to get somewhere so we're just gonna make it all actiony like even now a little bit for my taste like if, if you stop and you know think about it but i like i definitely liked it it was really slick it was a lot of fun they did good with the characters like the character development i really liked but it just worried me that again things are going to get glossed over because it's a little too surfacey right like it's a little too surface in what they do with some of the stuff it's like laurie said there wasn't really a, a star trek like social message or issue really being talked about which is okay for the setup so it was sure. sort of like okay this is setting up this new universe but the next one better go somewhere oh. you know so i sort of gave mm. that a pass ah. um one one thing that i remember specifically calling out i can is I was concerned, and it's still somewhat concerning about the fr- the the phrase that Pike uses to describe Star. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is a humanitarian and peacekeeping yeah. armada, uh-huh. and that's really yeah, somewhat troubling. Actually, I don't know if yeah, I don't know if we that's what we would call it. You know, like I don't know about that. It's interesting. So I, I remember being sort of concerned that they didn't understand. Really, I, I remember having this conversation ten you know, years ago like, too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, we, we definitely had conversations about it, this. It, like, it's also something where the he's clearly speaking, regardless of the words he choo- chooses, he's clearly speaking to the audience because it would be like yes, if yes. Kayla, if if right. I was trying to recruit you to join NASA, I wouldn't say, you know, NASA's important, right? It's the National Air and Space Administration, <laughs> and it's our best help <laughs> for getting humankind to the moon or whatever. I wouldn't say that. You would you would know what NASA yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah, I I give the, I forgive them though cuz that's you, sometimes you just got to do that. So they've got to do yeah, that. Yeah, no no. I it's I, still, I, I understood why. Yeah. It was just like, eh, I, okay. I I also find it le- still less annoying than in first contact where data says, "The Borg are creating a chronoton field." And Riker stands up and Time says, travel. Time travel. <laughs> Time travel. Yep. <laughs> it's like, thanks, Will. You're not the science yeah. guy. Sit back down. I love how he does it when he stands up, too. I just, I just love watching Will Riker do stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, me too. Classic Riker. Well, that's a, that, yeah, that's great. Well, that's Riker great. is one of these guys who assumes that because he's the tallest guy in the room, that automatically makes him the smartest <laughs> guy, too. And so he's surrounded by <laughs> everyone who is smarter than him, so he has to remind everybody of that. <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, no, it was it was all generally enjoyable. Like, I, and I liked a lot of what they did with with like, um, especially yes. the Spock's child. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because because let's face it, like they they just took a bunch of stuff from yesteryear, yep. you know, in, in a good way. Like that's they adapted some stuff from yesteryear and and effectively made it. Well, TAS is sort of right semi canonical. It's sort of debated. Yeah. But now, but now, like that aspect of it. It, it's but, but with yeah, a much needed wardrobe yeah, update and the little boy with, who played him was what's that <laughs> uh, yeah that's right he's like not an wearing underpants a and a thing, like weird whatever. shoulder strap <laughs> yeah 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 it was yeah yeah with a weird shoulder strap yeah, yeah. <laughs> well they, they, they were actual humans they had to put in clothes they weren't cartoons they had to get off as quickly <laughs> as they could yeah so my general reaction to it at the time was I just appreciated how much energy was in it, right? And this is something yes. I, I don't think very much of J.J. Abrams as a storyteller, but he is really good at ener- at filling a scene with a lot of energy, right? Even if it's just yes. little things like people running dramatically down the hallway to give news, <laughs> he's so good at that. And there's this wonderful behind-the-scenes footage 
from from the making of where when when Kirk and Sulu are on the the mine thing on Vulcan and they, JJ wanted the camera to be shaking just the right way. So whilst the cameraman is holding it there, he's kneeling next to it, like slapping it, right? He's not going to let somebody else do it. He's not going to say, oh, we'll just take care of it in post-production with the CGI or whatever. He was on his hands and knees making sure it got the, the exact right space shake that he wanted to. And I'm sure a lot of that is authentically himself, but a lot of it is also everybody who made this movie has had seen the... Uh, the uh, behind-the-scenes stuff of the Star Wars prequels where Lucas, like, didn't do anything and he just sat there with the screen up in his coffee <laughs> out. And they say, no, we're not yeah. going to do this. We're going we're gonna to get our... our, our um, hand, uh, we're going to get dirty filming this. So I do appreciate well, his you know commitment what's a, yeah. to that. Yeah, to his credit, JD, JJ likes to do things, like, real and physical. Like, a lot... It's a, the, the entire drilling rig thing was in a parking lot in LA like actually being shot outside so the lighting was actually like daylight oh okay it sounds he also, oh cool it was very impressive yeah sorry there I was were, listening were, to the commentary yeah. a little bit too I didn't get through the whole thing because you know life and stuff mm-hmm. but um but he sure. was talking about that, that <laughs> they started doing that on Lost and that he, that was something that they like shaking physically going up and shaking the camera oh, because they were go. talking about the plane crash scene and how important that was and how it added yeah. this, this yep. you know this energy to it and so I think that it worked I mean, it worked here, too. Like, that was, they said they kind of had to do it to make it work, and it worked really well. But, yeah, he was physically shaking it. Well, and, you know, 2009 was the introduction to everyone's favorite lens flares. Oh, boy. Yep. Here we which, go. Which were not yep, added in flares. post. Those were also practical effects. They had people with mirrors. Seriously. And flashlights on yep. stage shining it into the lens of the huh. cameras. Yeah. Yep. So he, he wanted every one of those there. That's so cool. So like yeah, to it's yeah like if you even if you it's hated crazy. the lens flares like I guess you got to give them some credit for like they were every one of them was intentional so yeah yeah was real yeah yeah they didn't yeah, just like press crazy. the lens flare effect button in during editing well and that's what I think is funny is like there was so much hate for the lens flares and like there still is but you know what's so funny is like ten years on I think we've all gotten used to them like it doesn't bother me the way it did I was initially. still noticing them because there are some cases <laughs> it's just where so weird. The, the scene is ex- obscured so much. Well, so can I just tell you, as an, as an aside, here's, here's a plug for why you care about things like uh, high dynamic range, like HDR and 4K. In HDR, because these were released back in 2016 in a very nice 4K with HDR uh, on, Blue, on Ultra HD Blu-ray version. Thanks to the expanded range of HDR... Those lens flares do not hmm. drown out the visual information nearly as much. It is far more enjoyable. That's how I rewatched hmm. it the other night. It is it is a much better presentation, and it's it's much better. Like it's like okay, so you had this nice idea, but it wasn't really With executable. That, yeah, even well, even ten years later, because mo- a lot of people don't have like my TV is doesn't have that, and it's a relatively nice TV. So right. So, but yeah, no, it actually looks quite nice and it doesn't, because of the ability to actually describe the information better, it doesn't do that. But again, like you said, that that's a specific use <laughs> yeah, case for most people, that's not the case. And so it's kind of, it's kind of annoying. Yeah, it's kind of annoying. But I think we've all gotten used to it because among other things, what happened is the, uh, the, the newest CBS productions started to adopt some of that visual language. Yeah, even... Even like the camera movements in 2009 sort of reminded me of some stuff that they've done in Discovery. And like, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. it's well, the same are. style yeah, where they, the, they the they camera like is style. like twisting mm-hmm. and moving in these really weird patterns. Like this, the scene where where um, Spock is standing in front of the Vulcan, the council for his for being accepted to the academy. Yeah. Like the, oh, the, the yeah, camera's yeah, like right. yep. moving in almost like a corkscrew thing. Like it's it, it's it's really uh-huh. it's visually really yep. um, interesting stands out. And then they do the, a lot of that maybe too much in Discovery. I, I think in there, the goal of starting with something like that was to make you feel a little uncomfortable because Spock is supposed to be uncomfortable in that situation. So yeah. frequently cinematographers will make decisions like that that make sense for the tone other times they'll do it just to be weird and wonky yeah, and different yeah. which i think a tv show is more likely to do because they don't have as much time to set stuff yeah, up good as point. Movie does. yeah anything else generally before we drill into some of the specifics okay oh. so now we we also i, I keep i keep this up a little bit beforehand but trekmovie.com or uh, the website that hosts the shuttle pod uh, this was started in the run-up to mm-hmm. 2009. And Matt, I believe you yes. said the other day you've been a part of Trek Movie since 2006? Yes, sir. Dude, tell us about so, that. Our founder, the site's founder, Anthony Pascal, Tony, founded it uh, in the summer of 2006. Um, uh, you know, he had been keeping his ear to the ground and hearing stuff about a potential reboot, you know, with J.J. Abrams. So he launched it the same day that the official announcement came that JJ had a five year deal with Paramount back in 2006. And then as we were waiting for like, you know, news and things like that, the other thing that came along was, um, Star Trek remastered. The original series remastered also came about in 2006. And so he, he started covering that. Um, and that's where I sort of came in as I said, well, Hey, you seem to know something about that. Like I can help cover that. I'm a big TOS fan. I can, you know, do stuff for the weekly. At the time, it was a syndicated thing, crazy thing that people don't know about anymore, right? It's not streaming. It was, this was before streaming took off. So they were syndicating it and showing one new remastered episode a week. So I said, okay, well, I can help with that. I can help do, you know, screen captures to compare, you know, the old version versus the new version and sort of just became a member of the staff that way. And of course, was interested in with the JJ movie too. And yeah, so it was, it was, it was a cool time to be a Star Trek fan only because you just knew a bunch of stuff was coming. Mm. You knew like that. You knew that sometime soon at the time it was going to be 2008, they moved the release date to 2009. It was was going to be like a Christmas release. And right. So they moved it to be a summer movie Hmm. the next year. Oh, because yeah, all the TNG movies came out like uh, Thanksgiving time. Christmas. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They, they did. And of course they had much, they had a lot of faith and they wanted to, yeah, this splash, is a, so that was a big deal because the Christmas spot um, is seen as like the second best time for film to be released, but the first best time is the summer because right. that's when you have like the summer exactly. tentpole film. So it was a huge deal. Sure. Yeah, it was like considered like a huge vote of confidence yeah. basically that they moved it to summer, and yeah, it was so it was a big deal. And um, Anthony did a lot of hitting the streets, like showing up to press events where the bad robot guys would be. I mean, early on, and he just got his face recognized by people like J.J. Abrams and Roberto Arce and Alex Kurtzman. So they started to see him show up to stuff. You know, like there was a lost rap party. And he showed up to that and said hi to them, like covered it, and asked, tried to ask them some questions about, what you know, the status of the new movie and stuff. And so they actually started to, like, recognize his face because um, he happens to live in the L.A. area, so he was able to do that. 
and it was pretty cool so there's kind of the grassroots he got he got the site off the ground and there you go and kayla you joined pretty soon after i did, yeah i think, I think january 2007 thereabouts yeah um, yeah and so i started um um working on the the site as the science person i was yeah i was an undergrad and i was in college at the time wow studying for my bachelor's degree um and yeah i got i was a huge fan of this the website like when i'd be working in the lab i'd be like constantly refreshing trekmovie.com <laughs> to see if there, cause it, there's like multiple articles a day oftentimes By the time i joined already you know there was like a comics thing every week a celebrity thing every week like there's all these different weekly things and then the science thing every week um mm-hmm. so he asked me to if i wanted to come in and and write that i remember like he he sent me an an email um actually the reason we, i got hooked up with him is because i was such a fan of the site and i had my first iphone this is the first gen iphone had just come out must have been right because it came out in like 06 yeah it's like 2007 yeah so i like i had my brand new iphone and um you can save you can like bookmark a website on your home screen and it makes a little thumbnail and if the website doesn't have a favicon it just puts like a little picture of the website it doesn't look as nice but i was like i I knew how to make one you just like upload a certain file to your root directory um so i emailed him i was just like hey i'm like a huge fan of your site just fyi like if you want your site to look really nice on the iphone like i made your logo into this icon just put it in your root folder um and i had put like my personal blog website in the footer of my email and he must have checked it out and i had happened to had some like star trek stuff on there like i did um i used google earth uh to like geolocate um the the voyager next to famous landmarks on the earth just to do like a size comparison because the voyager can land <laughs> so like i put right. it next to like the pyramids and like in the white house lawn and stuff and did like uh, like analysis of the size just stuff like that in my website and he wrote and was like oh like do you want to write our science column um, that's great oh, cool yeah so that was that was really exciting and then eventually yeah, i started helping out with all kinds of other stuff and a few years ago we made this podcast and here we are <laughs> i know crazy and and of course now the context of news about star trek is expanded so much more than just the kelvin verse right so in some ways oh, yeah it would be nice to have a different name for the website, but it's still, that's our brand. So, you know, it's, 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 yeah. it's, it's worked out pretty well so far. So we'll stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. But thanks for, thanks for a little history lesson there. That's, that's uh, spectacular. I, I, I didn't realize, I kill, I knew you'd been with the site for a long time, but Matt, I had no idea that the roots had run so deep with you. Yeah. Yeah. It was like fall 2006 ish. Mm-hmm. So, so, so now you mentioned fall 2006 and something as I was trying to put myself back into this time frame uh, and, and Matt, I think you mentioned rebooting, but like uh, in 2005, Batman Begins, they rebooted the Batman franchise after the 90s stuff and then Casino Royale rebooted uh, James Bond. And then in 2008, they did the second inc- uh, movie about the Incredible Hulk, which was kind of weird that they were rebooting him so quickly. Uh and then, and then this, I feel, was was another really important, I don't know, not necessarily good, but important sign to Hollywood that there was a lot of money in redoing stuff, right? Yes. So in terms of reboots, is this, uh, reboots, reimaginings, or whatever, is, is, this a, is this a good way to do this kind of thing? Is this a model that other franchises should follow? Should, 
should they do a reboot of TNG like this with James McAvoy shaving his head bald as, <laughs> as Captain Picard? No, I mean, also, no. well, also because, I mean, they're, because Picard is still in play, right? Right. Sure, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, true. plus we saw that's what true. they, we saw it happen when they kind of did that with Tom Hardy, so. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we did, and everyone in the theater laughed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but then, in terms of the general fandom, because something that we kind of forget is, Enterprise was off the air only four years before this came out. And it, it kind of right. seemed longer. And I guess mm. time always seems longer when you're going through them when you look back at it. Well, it also seemed longer because a hell of a lot happened right after the Enterprise or after Enterprise went off there. Um, you know, the, the Paramount Viacom stuff imploded and the ownership of Star Trek got mm. fragmented. Yeah. But in late 2005, Viacom split from CBS and the CBS got to take every single thing except for the movie rights with them. And so it was very strange. It was a new world where Star Trek wasn't under one roof under Paramount. Like, what? It was so weird. Uh, to this day, some people still can't really wrap their heads around it. They'll still mistakenly say, oh, Paramount, and they mean CBS and things like that. Because it's just hard. It's, it's, it's weird, right? It's a weird corporate thing that... And technically, way up the ladder, way up the top, they're still like sister-like companies, but it's it's just weird. So they were spun off from each other, and it's never been the same, right? Like things are just weird. This is the same time that um, it was really clear that there was an end of an era, like the Berman era was over. They were auctioning off stuff. They had basically just torn down the Enterprise sets and like auctioned off pieces from it. They were going through the Star Trek archives in the Paramount lot and putting up props and i mean it was really clear like we're done with this shit this era is over they were selling it off to collectors it was not good it did not feel good so this was a f bad four years honestly. okay then the other two things that happened were battlestar galactica mm -hmm. and firefly yeah and and yep. they and just the mean, completely right. captured people's interest and you you read they any did. interview with ronald d moore or joss whedon about their two series and they're all talking about it as without mentioning it, is basically post-Star Trek science fiction. Yep. Yep, that's true. It's really I true. mean, like Joss Whedon will so, say, normal people don't have to deal with ambassadors with goop on their foreheads every day. Normal people deal with trying to get a job and keep it, right? <laughs> and it's like, hmm, what is he very pointedly referring <laughs> to that way? What's he talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a long, kind of strange four years. Like you, like you were saying, it's only four years. But yeah. It was a very eventful four years. Like it was not necessarily in a good way either. It was just like, whoa, what, what, what now? You know, like, what do we do now? I think there was a lot of like, what's next? What do we do now? Star Trek can't die. Like, it has to go. Like, Star Trek's relevant, always relevant, right? You should always be able to reinvent it and make it relevant because it's about humans in the future, and it should be, in theory, mostly hopeful, mm -hmm. right? It should be something about hopeful in the future. Like, you've got to be able to do something. So I think we all wondered. What do we do? What's next? Right. So. Okay. So um, in, in terms of some of the highlights of 2009, I think everyone agrees that the soundtrack is yep, spectacular. Absolutely. Right. I liked it. Yeah. For the most part, Gino does a really good job with it. I was pretty happy. Thank you for it. pronouncing his name. Cause I, I'm always <laughs> terrified I'm going to say it wrong. 
I, I particularly love the uh, opening, the labor of love where Kirk is being born. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah, that's really that's emotional. Song is so good. Very evocative, yeah. I also really thought that he did a wonderful job with like a, a theme for Spock that was, you know, kind of alien and, and unique. He did it on an Erhu, which is like a, a Chinese fiddle, uh -huh. for lack of a better word. It's actually a little more unique than sure. that. And it was really, it's really interesting. It's an interesting theme that he had. And I, I liked a lot of what he did. Yeah, there's also a song he he does called "Enterprising Young Men," when now that's basically the song yeah. for the Enterprise uh -huh. and Star Trek, really. Yeah, and that really and the energy of that was a and then it kind of explodes yeah. when they see the ship, which is kind of a callback yes. to the motion picture when Kirk and Scotty yeah were yeah because yeah. cool yeah. they totally circle it in shuttles. Yeah, yeah. So that's really good. That's something that where I think everyone's always happy to see his name appear. And of course, he'd done all the music for Lost, which I think is how he got into the bad robot mm -hmm. verse, right? Sure. And he had been doing Pixar movies a little bit, too. Like he had done the other thing that he had done at that point that everybody really loved was he had done The Incredibles. Oh, OK. Yeah, that's right. That's right. In 2004. Mm -hmm. OK, so just a few years before right. then. Yeah, so his was some uh, an an incredibly important contribution to the to the new movie and to the new feel. Now, move, moving on, uh, something we wanted to talk about is, and Matt, I, I think you put the, put this in our notes, um, is it wouldn't be Star Trek without merchandise, right? Because merchandising, merchandising, <laughs> yeah, exactly, merchandising. We believe in a future where humankind has evolved beyond money, and that will cost fourteen ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> So we need a Star Trek the Flamethrower. No, no, no. But uh, we need um, the the one thing I wanted to point out is like again, seeing how this was like an attempt to get people interested again. Another piece of context that I just wanted to throw out there was this is the time period when the Clone Wars cartoon was really huge over in the Star Wars universe. It was huge. Okay, kids were watching that and eating it up. And so when you look at 2009 there are definitely some slightly goofy very kid-friendly moments tossed into it um which is not bad just there you go you can tell they tossed in a few moments that were kind of goofy and kind of fun that they were hoping to try to hook kids a little bit um and unlike geez i don't know the last how many star trek movies this time they're actually toys again there hadn't been toys since the early 2000s when playmates basically gave up on it um, there have been collectibles for adults, but there hadn't been a toy line. And so Playmates came, they got Playmates again, and they actually had a line of toys. Now, unfortunately, it didn't sell worth anything, and it kind of died, which made me really sad. But that's to show you just how much they were trying. 
You know, they were trying to get this back. They were hoping to get kids involved. They were hoping that this was going to hook people. Yeah, I always one. felt, but it was I cool always to felt see like toys. the phaser was designed to be a toy. Oh, yeah, I totally think so. Because it looks like a ray gun, like, that you would play with with your friends. So there were a line of toys, which is really cool because there hadn't been and there wouldn't be again. Um, but it, it was it was a cool time just to think, like, oh, look, this is how much faith they have in it. They've got a line of toys again. They're really trying. And I could, on this converting the young thing, I, prob- I saw this movie three times in the theater with different groups of people, like, attempting to, like get people interested in star trek basically like <laughs> it's cool now come see it so i actually did it with some younger members of the my extended family and was like okay forget clone wars come watch this you know what did like, they think <laughs> which there's no hey it was fine but no they went they went right home and continued to play with all their star wars legos and mm. watch clone wars on cartoon network i mean i mean that's the thing it was unbeatable you can't beat it so it was kind of a, I, I was. Kind I, of I kind of wish Star Trek could be successful without having to be cool. Because I don't know that Star Trek will ever be cool. And that's fine. Yeah. It is. It's kind of geeky because it's positive and it's about people getting along. So sorry, that's kind of geeky, I suppose. But the, the, the other problem is, um, and this was particularly extent with the Game of Thrones series, is the more it appeared on, the more the actors appeared on Entertainment Weekly, the worse the show got. Because, <laughs> and, and, yeah. and I don't want to sound like an elitist, like, but they kind of had to, to, well, to go to the lowest common denominator with a lot of stuff, right? So the writing became mm-hmm. less in- intelligent in order to appeal to a broader audience. Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, when, 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 when this is zeroed in on, on just wanting to make a, a target demo happy, it's better than when they try to, to be all things to all people. Yeah, I agree. I wish, I, but I wish the studio could be happy with it making a like okay amount of money and being really good at being a specific thing rather than wanting to make it make a ton 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 of money by appealing to everyone because i just think at the heart of it like you know they talk about wanting oh star trek like we're so excited about it because it has this built-in fan base and they're all gonna watch it and it's like well we're gonna watch it if you make it star trek so if if you're so excited about us being a built-in fan base just just make it for us i mean i think that's part of the challenge of star trek as a movie versus star trek on tv in general and i just i had a Mm -hmm. very interesting talk with my brother about Mm -hmm. this who's more of a casual fan like he's seen lots of it but not all of it and thinks i'm a little nuts so that's probably the best way to describe where he is (laughs) but um but we were talking about it and saying like it's the problem with movies is that if you want to have all the special effects and make it look great, it is going to cost a ton of money. And then you need that wider audience. And if you yep. really want to hone in on sure. like, like if I think about what Star Trek is to me and I would say um, maybe I love it and the guys making this movie loved it, but we might not love the same things about it. And so they're definitely trying to mainstream it more, which to do that, you kind of have to take away some of the some of the softer Trek stuff and you have to have like explosions and space bat, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, it's, it's, it's the challenge of trying to do a movie in the first place that leads to a lot of this. Thank you for providing that context. I want to add a little thing at the end is everyone should remember that up until this point, the most successful Star Trek movie had been the one about a couple whales in San Francisco in the eighties where nobody shot any guns at all. 
But it was funny and it was accessible to non-Star right. Trek fans. Like it is true that the ones, you know, sure. you could watch the, that movie if you had a passing knowledge of who those characters were, which everybody does. You sure. Know, everybody knows yeah. Kirk and Spock yeah. and, a, and, you know, a handful of others. Um, you could. Beat right, me up, Scotty, you, whatever. You would enjoy that movie mm-hmm. because it played off its own reputation in so many ways. Sure. Yeah. And and they right. and they did it as a comedy to expand it to more people rather than yeah. as just uh you know like shoot them up. Yep. Yep. And I mean, come on, it was like a film about save the whales. Like, doesn't get much geekier than that. No. And there's that's true. <laughs> Although that was pretty mainstream. That's true. Yeah, but there's true. your morality tale, right? Like the morality but tale yeah, is also a, yeah, exactly. this thing that is coming and seems destructive is actually not trying to be destructive, mm-hmm. which is a very Star Trek message. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very. Speaking of of shoot 'em ups, so let me pose a question to the three of you: Was JJ ever really invested in this, or was this just a demo reel for Star Wars? Well, the cynic in me thought this right away, which was like, no, it's obvious he wants to go reboot, you know, work on Star Wars. Even from the get-go, it was looking yeah. like that. But, I don't know. If you take him at his word, he started to become invested in it as he made this and this one and the next one. And it was... But, yeah, that, that, yeah wasn't a, that wasn't a loaded question yeah. at all, Jared. <laughs> no, I know, right? Loaded. Loaded. loaded with yeah. a lot of love for Star Trek. And that is seen in the characters. Well, and I think that comes from... But it's done as... Yeah. Right. And that's the writing, right, but he certainly had some. <laughs> he certainly had involvement, like he had a say, and and it, and the the, yeah. the there's so much there is like I I mean I don't want to just keep using the same words over and over, but there's definitely a lot of respect in certain ways for what they think people loved about it and and what is special about those characters and how iconic those characters have become for so many of us. So you know, give it some yeah. credit for that. They didn't just create all new characters and stick them in the uniforms. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a mixed bag, but I I think it's impossible to forget that um, interview that he did with Jon Stewart when Jon Stewart hosted The Daily Show. Are we all thinking of that? You can't forget it. There's a quote, and someone can correct me on the exact wordage, but it's basically J.J. Abrams says, like, I wasn't, I was never a fan of Star Trek, and that it was too, he basically saying it was too cerebral. And John John Stewart really like like is taken aback and is basically like, like comedically, but also seems to be quite seriously being like, "Are you are you kidding me right no, now?" No, you know what like, he said. He said, <laughs> "I stopped listening to you as soon as you said I don't really like Star Trek." Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah, right. Yeah. There you that's go. Right. That's John Stewart. But, but he, I think there's a there's a bit of um, the, you know, it's sort of tongue in cheek, but there's real incredulity there of like, "Are you kidding me, dude?" Like, first yes. of all, if that's true, why would you say that on national television? Yeah, you're out you're here, here to, to like, promote this movie. this movie. Don't, don't say, say that you don't that. like yeah. the franchise yeah. on which it's based. Like, well, who 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 was he trying to promote it to? He was trying to promote it to non-Star Trek right. fans. He, yeah, the, the cool kids. But who even don't so, like to Trek say Trek. like exactly. I never liked it. It's like, are you trying to promote it to people who actively <laughs> disliked it? Yeah, you know, the, be- the better <laughs> thing would have been to say I was not the biggest fan in the world, but I I, I certainly enjoyed it. Yeah, or like, oh, you know, I, I didn't watch it when I was a kid, so I, I was aware of it. But that's what a lot of people say, right? You know, I was aware of it, I didn't really watch it, but then once I started watching it, I, I fell in love. You know, you hear that people say that that's, all that's the time. Just, that's the new stuff. Yeah, but it's, now. it's probably yeah, true exactly. for a lot of people. But it's certainly more diplomatic than saying like I basically didn't like the show because it wasn't my style and I'd rather watch a shoot 'em up action movie. Yeah. 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 
So, yeah. So when you ask that question for me and plus, you know, I don't I think a lot of people I'm not alone in this sentiment. Immediately when I heard J.J. Abrams was doing Star Trek, I thought, huh, I think he I think he'd be way better doing this. Like he'd make a great Star Wars film. I'm, I'm, I'm surprised yeah, to yeah. see him picked for this. And after 2009, I felt the same way. Like so when he did Star Wars, um, which I actually really like the new Star Wars films, um, another podcast or another time but i was like mm, this yeah. is what i remember thinking this in in 2009 like jj would make a great star wars film because it's a different beast yep. Yep. yeah and there are a lot of star wars mm-hmm. moments in this movie yeah i mean for example destiny and this idea of like people belong in a certain place is not mm. very star trek generally but is huge of course in this sure. because this this whole movie is literally like even though this is a splintered off universe from what we know like the universe is still trying to get Kirk, Spock, and you know Scotty and Bones and everybody together. And damn if they, get, the universe is going to make that happen. Even, you know Spock Prime's going to get involved, and everybody's going to make this shit yeah, happen. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, <laughs> and it's interesting you bring it up, Matt, because at the end of the film, Spock Prime, you know, says, you know, because Spock knew Calvin Spock is like, I'm going to go. You know, Vulcan's been destroyed. I'm going to go like help my people rebuild. And Spock Prime is like. Um, well, he says, you know, I think you have the luxury of being in two places at once. Um, and I, I urge you to stay in Starfleet because you've got to go be friends with Captain Kirk. And, you know, you guys are going to be best friends. But it's like, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting because I thought wouldn't that it's it's almost like he's he's prescribing a sort of romanticism to his own yeah. history <laughs> instead of like yes, like Kelvin Spock totally. um, deviated from prime Spock when he was super young, like when he was a baby or a child. Right. So. Yeah, because he and Kirk. Right. So yeah. So so, yeah. so he, he's a completely different person, and maybe he could take his own path, you know. So I, not that I don't want him to go be in Starfleet and be on the Enterprise and be friends with Captain Kirk, but I just thought it, I I noticed that. Indeed. So it's interesting you brought well, it up. You're totally right. It's, for example, we just watched Kirk take his own path. I mean, he ends up in, in the end. He ends up in the same place, but we just watched Kirk take a very different path. Yeah, but there's Kirk. this implication so, that he was always supposed know. to end up there. Right, and I think one of the most eye rolling things. If you'll permit a digression and mo- that people really take, you know, take an eye roll at with this movie is that Kirk goes from cadet to captain. And by the end of this yeah. movie, that's way, yeah. way yeah, too it, much. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, it is. But they just had to get him there. Yeah. And it's like, oh, God, OK. Yeah, I, they were doing so well. See, <laughs> something that, to you know? go back to Casino Royale, something that I like about those uh, um, James Bond movies is they put together the mythology over the course of all four of the films. Right. So mm. he, he, in the first one, he gets his license to kill and his double O, right? Right. And then in the second one, he learns this. And then, like, in the third one, that's when we finally introduce Q Branch and Money Penny, right? So it's not everything all at once. It's like we see his career over several years, not, hey, you just graduated from, from Navy school. Let's put you in charge of a battleship. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, I think, I think that is. Lori, what you said about the destiny thing and then and then what you Jared and Matt, what you guys also just said, like really hits home the thing that irks me the most about this film, which is like like has been said, the character development is great, but I think that um the characters all get shoehorned into these like quote unquote destined roles that they're supposed to end up uh-huh. in in a very unbelievable way. And like like they're there it's too it felt like too much yeah, too much too quickly and too much almost like pandering like like why yeah. why is why is spock the guy who's programming the kobayashi maru and like sure. why is it that that they have this public hearing about 
um, how Kirk cheated in the Kobayashi Maru because I thought people didn't know that he cheated on it because like later it's like a sort of a secret like oh by right. the way, he cheat he cheated on this so like but no there was this mm. public hearing about it well but 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 no 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 that's prime oh Kirk I know who, but why but got, still it feels so like why this version of Kirk is a brash you know dickhead he, he's a frat boy to use to use Brian's term. he is he's, he's totally a frat yeah. boy which, which I kind of dislike yep this version of Kirk. Yep. thank thank goodness. They do slowly give him an arc over the next two movies to get him away from that, but it takes a while. So, Kayla, I appreciate what you said. Can I interject what I think is the one line that encapsulates everything about this about this franchise? Sure. It's actually something that Spock says to Pike after Kirk and Uhura have come running up onto the bridge and they're warning that the that they're you're, they're going into a trap. So, <laughs> Kirk says the cadet's logic is sound. And Lieutenant O'Hara is unmatched in xenolinguistics. Okay, there's a couple problems with this. One, Uhura and 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 the crew—they're just normal people, right? She's not like doesn't have godlike powers of xenolinguistics. But in this in this retelling of them, all everyone is cranked up to a million, right? Yep. It's not that that uh, uh, Chekhov is just. Um, Spock's protege right. is that he's a Russian whiz kid. He's a boy who genius. He's seventeen. Seventeen, yeah. right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. he makes he makes Wesley look like like a a, a B minus student, right? And it's not just that <laughs> that that uh, uh, Sulu likes fencing; it's that Sulu is a ninja, right? And it's not just right. that Scotty is good at engineering; so it's right. that Scotty invents that, transport right? beaming, <laughs> invents this crazy thing that makes interstellar travel. Uh, in, uh, unnecessary, right? Oh, and here, Uhura right. is... But he lost Admiral Archer's beam yeah, along the which way. which is okay. fantastic. That is a spectacular <laughs> reference. Which is a fun little yeah. thing. Okay, yeah. but it, Lieutenant Uhura, she's unmatched in xenolinguistics. Even if there's someone with 10 more years of experience yeah. as yeah. No, 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 no. This, chick, this chick who's okay, the, basically a college student. Right. Yes, okay, then there's the other thing. What, what, what is the one grand, grand error in what uh, Spock says here? He says the cadet's logic is sound, and Lieutenant Uhura is unmatched in linguistics. What's the big mistake in that line? Uhura is not a lieutenant. She's not a lieutenant. Does he really what say lieutenant in the film? Yes, he does. What? What? He calls her lieutenant. What rank is she? She's a cadet, right? Aren't they all? Cadets? She's a cadet. He just said well, cadet. Well, but what's weird is what's what's weird is then they all go go on board ship and put on like uniforms yeah. with those ranks. <laughs> yep. It's crazy. Okay. And, and so this is but the thing. Bones assumes like a lieutenant rank of like as when he becomes CMO, and it's like. What? Wait, huh? Yeah. No, yeah. you were just finishing. And I love how he becomes CMO because like, huh? he's the dude who like phoned in that the CMO died. And, and yeah. who didn't die. It's, yeah, like, like He's not like necessarily a, the ranking off. It's like there's a rank, there's a chain of command. The next person down would become the CMO, not like the guy who calls. The guy who just yeah. graduated from the academy. Hasn't right? graduated yet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but of yeah, course, they're but, just but, activated. But, so, but, because, but Bones already was a doctor. Sure, yeah, sure, sure, sure. But still, there's still a rank that you have to climb. Yeah, yeah. he he wouldn't he yeah, wouldn't yeah. be in the chain of command at that point. Well, apparently, all the doctors die except for <laughs> him. Right? It's like okay. <laughs> so, but this is this is what they're doing. They they're, they're they want to tell a story where they're young people, but they also want to use the tropes and the names that we're familiar with. And her name is not Uhura. Her name is Lieutenant Uhura. Yeah. Wow! Wow! I did yeah, not I catch didn't that. When yeah, you said to, it, Jared, me, I thought you I misspoke. Forget about that. Yeah. No, no. No, he calls her lieutenant. Uh huh. Incredible. The, the, this one line is is the whole Kelvin verse condensed into two sentences. <laughs> Plus, like, <laughs> if Spock, so at That's the end funny. of the film, so 
at the beginning of the film, Spock has been programming the Kobayashi Mirror for how long? A long time yeah. at that point. Four, four, four years. years. Okay, so he's been essentially like a professor level guy at yes. Starfleet for four years. So he's like, if this were like a, a you know modern Earth analog, he would like be going up for ten years soon. You know what I mean? Like he's he's a, a mid career professor at the academy right he he's right because he's he's got the rank of commander yeah. at this point already so so then one of his, so like i'm trying to put this in, per, in perspective like using earth analog so he's like a, a mid-career yeah. professor um uh but also still a young man but, because they want to make a story about young people of course um and one of his students who hasn't graduated yet with their bachelor's degree still one of his college students in one of his classes um basically tricks him into assuming command then is given like the highest field rank that you can have at the end of this mission and then you the the mid-career professor request to be his your student's first officer yeah yeah that's that's basically correct yeah (laughs) i know it because we have to have Kirk as captain already. Okay, I just I appreciate you translating it into real world experience. Can I also interject a little bit of Star Trek stuff in terms of uh, an officer's career line? Sure. Yeah. So this is this is from Data Lore. When Lore asks if da- if he can have a uniform just like Data, he says, "If you want that, it will mean four years at the academy, another three as ensign, ten or twelve on varied space duty in the lieutenant grades." And then you could get promoted to lieutenant commander, right? So Data is sitting on top of 17 years of experience to be the second officer of the Enterprise, right? And instead, Kirk gets promoted before he's even graduated. And Spock's a commander. Yeah. 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 It makes no sense that he would request to be the, sec- the, the first officer under, under Kirk. Zero sense. Yeah. No. Well, yeah. They just had to take a lot of liberties to get them and, moving. And on. the Enterprise is like the yeah. flagship of the Federation, and they're handing it to yeah. this undergrad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The impulsive undergrad at that. See, and and the better thing to do with this would have been to make because I because the the heart of this. So to use the save the cat language, if you guys are familiar with that book about screenwriting, save yep. the cat. So the, the genre of this movie is it's called a, a buddy love, where it starts off with two people who are are don't like each other, and then the core emotional. Uh, um, arc of the film of the story is that they become friends right that's the arc for both of them is they go from hating each other beginning to to being buddies right so i think the better thing to do would have been to have made them roommates right and to have it end with them becoming junior officers under captain pike right but i I guess that would have been too much well that's not what the non-star trek fans especially don't like they don't want that yeah. So for right. all of us, I was, I mean, as I was rewatching it, and especially I really liked what they did with young Spock in particular, like watching him as a young boy, I thought was particularly well done. And I realized, like, I would watch a whole, like, Spock origin story movie. I'd be fascinated by mm. that. The Kirk, I didn't like mm-hmm. the choices they made for him. I liked the premise, but not the specifics. But, um, but the wider audience isn't that interested in that. Why isn't the wider audience interested in having them slowly go through the ranks, like Jared mentioned, over, the, for example, over the course of a few films? You really think that wouldn't work? I th- I, 
no I one... think they like the the general broad non Trek audience, which it's honestly hard to imagine being such a thing. <laughs> it's been so many years, right? Um, yeah, <laughs> well said. Trying like they think Captain Kirk, like to them it's Captain Kirk, and that's who he is. He's Captain Kirk. Yeah, that that that's his name. Yeah, like Lieutenant yeah. Uhura is yeah. her name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I got right. you. Hmm. All right. Well, then I mean, it's like then you gotta then you can't do the young. Kirk and Spock story. You, otherwise, you're going to end up with the problems that 09 had. I think that I don't know how else you escape the problems of making them rise up the ranks through the ranks so quickly. Then, because you, you you either you have to skip over time. You have to you have to indicate that things happened that we didn't see, which they didn't want to do. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if I would have liked that though, because it would have been like, then what's the point? Because you're missing. What's the point of setting it early if you're not going to yeah. show how yep. they got there? So and they'd have to age and whatever. Right. It and you have to figure they had these conversations in writers' rooms where all the walls are whiteboards and they have some kind of uh, lunch brought to them so they can stay there and have a, a working lunch and all that stuff. Um, and I ha- I give them credit that they realized all the things we said. They just decided not to do it because they. We're making yeah, a mess. I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite uncertain. You're right because they basically just. I think their mandate was at the end we have to get them to where yeah. we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're probably are. right. And, and they just had to. And do they it. did it piece you know, by piece to, to try and like get each one in there where they had to go. And yeah. honestly, as a fan, it was honestly the only one. But a lot of it was was pretty satisfying. Like when I watched it, and and as these people, you know, the minute these certain people, like I mean, McCoy's entrance is the most spectacular. I think in the whole movie. I love but, that one. Um, I love just, it. Why is that? Why is that? Go into. Can it's you go just, into detail? You get on that? everything about his character. You get a bit of his history. You get his whole point of view. Everything about him. I mean, Carl Urban is magnificent in this movie, and mm-hmm. his. And they made, and they made his nickname. They work made his nickname for modern audiences. Yeah, too, he just which he I really comes on strong. He's suddenly <laughs> the most interesting person in the room, and he suddenly completely bonds with Kirk. Okay, Matt, just for, for thank you, Laurie, thank you for going into detail with that. Matt, and I agree with you that Carl Urban is great. Um, Matt, can you explain where the name Bones comes as a nickname for a doctor? Oh, place? sure, because, because of course, that's an old... See, that goes back to TOS being a wagon chain of the stars kind of thing. People back then probably knew that there was an old school, you know, an old term for, like, a surgeon being a sawbones, right? Because they sawed your bones open or whatever. And so... That's like from the Civil <laughs> War or something, that. right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a very, right, exactly. So that's what I mean. Like, a lot of Westerns, like, people who had a frame of reference for Westerns, like, knew that. But you don't anymore. And so to, you know, Orsi and Kurtzman's credit, they've they thought of a fun little throwaway thing to figure out how this guy would still have a nickname of Bones to Kirk. You know, by Kirk would call him Bones. And I really like that, that he's this bitter, you know, divorced guy who's just like ah the wife took everything except for my bones you know and boom there you go like it was pretty clever i liked it and it also shows why he's enlisting in starfleet like kind of later in life he's already been a doctor why he's a little bit older it's he's just like ah screw it i got nothing else and he's drinking (laughs) right away you know and it's (laughs) yeah yeah, he's drinking i throw up on you and then what's the what's the tos episode the referencing where we find out about his ex-wife Right, because isn't isn't there an episode where we like meet? Anyway, I should have. No, I no. 
look that up no, before I started there, referencing it. There was going to be, a, there was going to be an episode. Joanna, yeah, daughter, that's right. Joanna, that's but right. That, but that never got made. Yeah, they oh, didn't do okay. it. Okay, I thought it. Well, was. didn't they mention there was something in Star yeah. Trek Five? No, that was his father actually. So that was a whole other thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Never mind. But we were. We, but basically, basically, what they took was some of this sort of non-canonical background info that was in like the TOS writers, the Bible memory beta stuff, used. and yeah, and essentially like made it official because B- M- McCoy was supposed to be divorced, like in TOS and things like that. They just never went with it. They just never used it. So it's kind of cool. They actually used stuff that had been thought about for you know TOS and would have probably been talked about if they had made Phase Two. You mm-hmm. know course that never happened sure. but things like that so that's kind of cool they, they did a great job of that okay in terms of the other main characters how do we feel they re, they, they did rebooting them in terms of the casting or the writing yeah. or the, the way liked, they were introduced i liked all the casting pretty yeah, much me too. Like, although no it's funny because in the later movies i didn't like zachary quinto as much in let's say star trek beyond and so i was yes. expecting to not like yep. him as much yes. in this one because i hadn't seen it in so long he's fantastic he's really good he's in this great one. and the writing for his character is great but he did such a nice job and he has all these intense moments without wearing it all on his sleeve like i felt he ended up doing later in the next two yeah, yeah. I, I started to think yeah I started to think about that and I really think like it's because at, this is the time when he was really taking um, his mentoring by yeah. Leonard Nimoy really seriously ah. yeah. on set together sometimes and he was really really seriously like studying with the master at this point and I think it shows that like this is the one where he was doing that more than anywhere, you know, more than any time else. And, it, and I also think even like the kid who played little Spock at the beginning, I thought he was great. It was good. And there's something yeah. like his opening line that he says about the insults, you know, preparing the insults or something. Mm-hmm. It was such a great introduction to the character. And I think better than, yeah. I mean, sorry, I don't like to pick on kid actors, but I look at kid Spock from discovery who is yep. a very different Spock and doesn't have that same sort of discipline and and yeah. personality that that this one had. And then yeah, because Zachary Quinto, I thought yeah. I think that kid's a lot younger though, yeah. too, isn't he? The no, and, and they were playing, they were doing something very different with the character as well. To be fair, so it wasn't that the kid was a bad actor. There was nothing wrong with his acting, but yeah, but I think he says, "Well, I presume you have." You have created yeah. new insults Here for I found today. It. I assume you've prepared new insults for today. And he's so... This is your 37th attempt to elicit an emotional reaction from Yeah, him. it's so, you know, like that everything is good. And then when Quinto shows up, he does just a great job of, of showing. And he has a lot of emotional stuff to play in this movie. And so I think speak. does such a very nice job of showing that he's feeling something and not showing it, which is what Leonard Nimoy was always so good at. Whereas mm-hmm, in the subsequent mm-hmm. two, he's definitely not as good at it, and he just seems pissed off. He's just showing it. He's almost not Vulcan anymore. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's partly of the writing too. I mean, we, we shouldn't talk. To, this is digressing maybe too much into the other films, but it's you got got like it, he he had scenes where he he like tried to punch a guy to death yeah. in in the yep. darkness. So how do you act? <laughs> how do you act Vulcan in that scene you, you <laughs> even the yeah, moments so. of this one where he switches like where Kirk says something that convinces him like he wants to go against him and he can't because he actually agrees with him I thought those were very very good Spock moments too yeah and that's very like TOS Spock where he's like almost annoyed that Kirk was right about <laughs> something you know like but but not quite you know it's just, it's really great can we talk um, about Scotty a little bit please yes 
Please do. Because, like, I, um, I really like Simon Pegg. Um, I like Pegg as Scotty, and I like the character of Scotty, but I think it's sort of unfortunate that the way that his character advances is through a series of, like, like of like problematic or annoying things that happen. Oh, like what? So it's like, yeah, he's 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 comedic relief. Yeah, which is which is I don't know that it's that's a... fine if you're gonna do it with him, but it turns into like so when he uh, like you mentioned, I think Laurie mentioned it before how he um they like invent trans warp beaming yeah. basically and and like spock prime also like just hands him the equations and he's like well how come if someone's invented this how come i've never heard of it because you haven't invented yeah. it yet oh are you from the future or hardy horror and then they just do it and it's fine and it works and like so that whole thing is kind of dumb and also the idea of transport beaming like you pointed out totally like defeats the point of <laughs> space travel it's well that that's why it's convenient right forgotten. yeah so that whole thing is <laughs> problematic and that's like key to his introduction like that's why his character is brought into the story and then of course he trans warp if i could interject briefly so that of course and everyone knows this is that's a reference to the the transparent aluminum from star trek 4 but the thing about star trek 4 is as beloved as it is is it's like a fantasy within the franchise right so like last week when we were talking about star trek 3 and i was saying star trek 3 really set the blueprint for what the berman era was going to be it's because that one is more based in uh, um, the verisimilitude of this uh, space adventure, right? Whereas Star Trek IV is, is, is a fantasy, which is why they never really talk about it ever again, right? Because it's, it's, yeah, well, it's such an exception. Yeah. I mean, because otherwise they'd be traveling through time using the slingshot thing constantly. Oh, yeah. right? for sure, yeah. for sure. But I mean, um, so, if that's so really So to try supposed... to do something that's more, you know, a dark, gritty reboot while making a throwaway reference to a fantasy it seems kind of out of place but anyway i digress if, if that really is a reference to that moment like i i, I kind of wonder if it is if it is it's extremely clunky yeah, i think so because it's because it's that whole like how did we know yeah, but yeah, he yeah. but it's not like, that's well, not actually, the that's Spock not the Prime feeling knows, of the scene at all you know? instead the 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 writing is very like we need to get from point a to point b in the scene which is we need to get him the information and so spock is just like here's right. this thing how come I don't know it exists? Because you didn't invent it yet. That's it. There's no... Yeah, and, and that's the little wink. Okay. Well, if it was, I think that was very poorly done. The, the, okay, yeah. speaking of poorly done, we also have to take into account that <laughs> Spock, Scotty, and Kirk just happened to be on the same planet within walking distance of each other. Yeah, oh, that... Yeah. And, yeah. and and That happens well, that throughout the film. Okay. Why, is Bones, why is Bones on an academy transport together. in the middle of Iowa? Yeah, well, and, and, and then... <laughs> I didn't think about yeah. that one, but but then we also have to to look at the fact that when when Spock kicks Kirk out of the Enterprise and maroons him on this planet, uh, he's kind of murdering him, right? Like if yeah, if no, Kirk is up. is a rogue actor and they need to put him in timeout, they have a brig, right? I know, brig, I hundred yeah. percent agree. Mm-hmm. When I saw that happen, in this, I don't, I never remember remembered feeling so upset about it the first time I watched it when I watched it I watched it last night and I was like what the heck yeah yeah how could he can do I just that? tell you that when I rewatched it I rewound to see if I'd missed something like I was like mm. wait what's ha- wait what's happening and then I must, <laughs> wait, I must have missed planet? something so I go back and I'm like no they that is such a weird thing to do to s- I didn't understand what was going on and then like it's mean. And then they kick him off and he wakes up in the thing and then and everybody agrees and goes along with this. And then other Spock is the the whole yeah, that whole thing was just really random. 
Like, if other Spock hadn't been there, he would have died. Yeah. Oh, and he didn't have any food oh, in the little shuttle pod thing. So he would have starved. I don't know. He had a little backpack. Yeah, he had a pack and, and, a, and a coat. Kind of survival gear, yeah. <laughs> All right. But but still. Still. <laughs> still. You don't just put someone on a, on a oh, barely class M ice planet. Yeah, yeah. They, they definitely were supposed yeah. to, like, come yeah. back for him in a couple hours. You know you what I mean? You should get like, kicked out of Starfleet for doing that to somebody. Yeah. yeah, that seems like it's got to violate some kind of humanitarian treatment of prisoners type of thing. Mm. Also, keeping well, in mind he's not a prisoner. And he's Kirk a says it does. Anyway, well, I'm remember. sorry, what were you saying, Matt? Well, remember, Kirk says it does. He even oh, records right. a log entry on the planet that says he thinks it thinks it goes against the regulations yeah, right. of the universe. So they do at least sort of pay lip service to it. Yeah, just to fucking maroon you on an ice planet where you will certainly die, and there are predators and, and there, the there size are, of houses. There are huge monsters. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other thing to consider is, uh, you know, at the time, I think Simon Pegg wasn't as big of a deal. I think he, uh, um, his concurrent uh, per participation in the Mission Impossible movies has elevated his star higher than it was at the time. Because I think he got this. He, he was a big. Yeah. He was a big deal he in was, the nerd he, community. Sure. Yes. In 2009. Yeah, right. He was doing yeah. his, his own. He was, but yeah. his biggest. Like Shaun of the Shaun Dead. And Hot yeah. Fuzz, which was just two years before yeah. this. And Hot Fuzz. He was yeah. more known than, I think, most of the other cast, no? Yeah, I would have thought yeah. so, too. I thought he was one of the. I, I, I would agree with that. Then, yeah, then the, so. the other thing to consider is how, how Zoe Saldana's star has just skyrocketed past all of them, right? Wow, yeah, yeah. right? She just went, right. She just got into Marvel. Her and Chris and Hemsworth. Yeah, that's a funny one. Avatar, yeah, comes yeah. Doesn't even look like him. No, he looks so different. As he a looks character. like a normal man, to be perfectly honest. My, yeah. Well, my eleven-year-old daughter just walked into the room and, as I was watching, said, "Who's that? He's cute." Ah. <laughs> ah. He is cute, but yeah, he doesn't look like yeah. he does now, like at all. He got ripped and like much more. He, he was square-jawed then, but man, he's really square-jawed now. You know, like. Dang. Yeah. Hey, I forgot um, something about Scotty's arc. Let's hear it. Because because you go directly from from this scene that we talked about, and then he he uses transport beaming and transport beams into the um, some kind of a Beam. water Tubes. to yeah. turbine yeah. thing in yeah. the um, the Budweiser in the brewery engineering. Budweiser set? engineering. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's the that's the one thing if there's one thing in this movie like for set design could they really god they really should also why are there turbines it. they did so much better in into darkness with why that. are there anyway, turbines so it would i don't so know it would why are there real, turbines? so it would look more i mean i think it's like but a that beer looks brewery like a modern it is it's a budweiser yeah, brewery in LA. Yeah. okay that's so like everyone who lives in la immediately noticed it and everyone was like, why did they film it there? Because it's a very famous, like, well-known... Everyone knows what that location looks like. Because you can tour it. It was a, not a good choice. They just... Yeah. They just... They did it. Go, going to Lawrence Livermore for, for Into Darkness was such a better choice. That was so cool. Yeah, that was, that was cool. To show a warp core. But anyway. Yeah, so Scotty... This, that Scotty moment is one of the ones I was talking about that they totally did for kids. Because um... it's this goofy thing where he's like, in tubes of water... And so, by the way, that's the clip they showed a bunch on Nickelodeon. Oh, interesting. And, like, and during, like, the Nick Kids Choice Awards, they had, like, Chris Pine and, like, Simon Pegg come on. Oh. And that's the clip mm. they used. Interesting. 
and then like slimed them and shit, you know, of course, <laughs> just like the kids. Um, but like, but see, they were trying to get kids into well, this and Keenzer is there for the like kids that. too, for sure. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and Keenzer, yeah, the Keenzer ratio, Kayla. You <laughs> yeah, talk I was looking Keenzer forward ratio. to this when I saw Keenzer <laughs> on the film last night. I was like, I get to talk about mm-hmm. the Keenzer ratio. It's been a, it's been a minute. So for any new listeners, for those of you who know what we're talking about, like, thank you for being a supporter of the Shadow Pod for so long, because we have not talked about the Keenzer ratio in a long time. So the Keenzer ratio became our shorthand for like, um, we all started talking about little things that we liked in the, um, in the Calvinverse films and talking about Keenzer and whether we liked him or not. And we all kind of agreed, like, we liked him, the idea of him, but... Um, in moderation like there is a limit and then you reach it very quickly yes. where you're like okay too much Keenzer because because it, it's he's goofy and he's fun and it's Simon Pegg going get down from there and you know yeah. they had it twice in the in this film which maybe was one too many times huh. so like there's a yeah he re- they really do he yells at them to get down twice yeah. it's like okay come up with a new gimmick get for the second or whatever thing, you know? in like, his yeah in his accent and it's like so the, the Keenzer ratio is the ideal amount of like goofy, stupid stuff that they interject to keep it fun. But if you go over that ratio, it's just bad. <laughs> so like that. <laughs> so I hope we can start using that again to talk about other stuff. The Keenzer ratio. Be like, wow, this yeah. like yes, next next ratio. next uh, year on Discovery, you can be like, wow, this episode had a way too high Keenzer ratio. <laughs> Mm. Can I? Even without Keenzer, you don't even. There's this other thing about Scotty, which I just noticed in my notes that I was taking while I was rewatching it, which is he has this weird line where he says that he's been wanting to get his hands on the Enterprise's ample nacelles. (laughs) Like, this weird. If you'll excuse the engineering, creepy porno line. Like, just what happened? (laughs) It's super creepy. It is. It's it's Starship porn. They just just thought it would be funny. It's, super, it's I not like funny. It either. It's I felt so uncomfortable. Weird. Yeah, it's a little awkward. Like someone when they're just a little bit louder than everybody else, just as everyone gets quiet. That's what it felt like. See, see, <laughs> and, totally. and the more on theme exactly thing it. joke to say would have been to say, "I would love to get inside her Jeffries too." <laughs> that's what. She <laughs> Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's wow. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's not that's <laughs> not appropriate. Um, hey. So Jared, but ample nacelles is yeah I don't know. Uh, we have a lot. We have a few other character points we want to talk about. Which ones specifically stand out? Yeah, well, we should definitely discuss Pike and Nero since Nero is supposedly just, the baddie of this. Just story. before we leave okay. our main characters, okay. I do want to say it is really hard sometimes to watch it and look at Anton Yelchin and realize that he's gone so young. I agree. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, such yeah. a heartbreaking oh thing. He's so delightful. And then you just, I know. and then it's so, so, so tragic. So like I just, it does cast a bit of a shadow as you're watching him. Yeah. It's yeah, so yeah, yeah. sad. We were rewatching it. We, we, yeah. We were watching it just before like Sunday night before recording this. And my wife turns to me and she just goes, Oh my God, this is, so, it's, he's so great. It's so sad that he's gone. And it's just like, yeah, you, you just you just yeah in the middle of him being delightful, you know, you just think of it and you just go, oh my god, he just died tragically. Yeah, your heart breaks this just a little, yeah. you know. It's a lot. It's a, it's emotional. It's just terrible. Yeah, I'm glad you brought I that do, up. I, yeah, thank you. Um, uh, I the the part I want to mention in terms of him being delightful is when he says nine five <laughs> and Wichter, it doesn't Wichter, understand and, him and the. <laughs> And the computer with the universal translator <laughs> cannot understand still can't his understand Russian accent. It's a little ridiculous, yeah. but it's funny. By the way, that computer 
Last time Maves will bear it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. the life. Oh, thanks for sharing yeah. that. I didn't realize that. Yep. They have, they were able to record her dialogue before she before And that she is also along. a nice little throwback so. TOS moment, too. You know, so it's nice. Yeah, it's very early yep. checkoff, like Ert from TOS mm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay, so do we want to talk about Pike or do we want to talk about Nero first? Well, let's talk about. We'll get to Nero because he's sort of lame, but let's talk about Pike for a minute because just because I think everybody loves yep, Bruce yes. Greenwood as Pike. Yeah. Space Dad. Yeah. Yeah. Bruce Greenwood, man. He, he plays like leaders and everything, and he's so good at it. I have to say, like, he just exudes that. You want to follow him, follow yeah. Him somewhere. You want to take orders from him, yeah. yeah. See, and, and one of the challenges with Star Trek is, and this is one reason why they make admirals evil all the time is it's difficult when you have a chain of command type of situation for your captain to be the driving force if he's taking orders from somebody else, right? Because then whoever's given the orders is in charge, not the captain. So to be able to thread that needle, have a guy who's an authority figure, but who doesn't detract from your heroes, uh, that is, uh, that's an impressive feat. And I think they did it with, with, I mean, he did it and then the writers as well. Yes, totally. They really did pull it off. And they, they did something, of course, that's a little bit um, <clears throat> different is that this version of Pike is clearly like 15 years older than Kirk, which is, of course, not how the prime timeline version would be in the prime timeline. Pike's maybe five years older than Kirk at most. They're, yeah, they're, they're contemporaries, age. more and or so, less. Right. They're contemporaries. Yeah, more or less. Right. And so in this one, they sort of took a little, you know, poetic license, it's, which is fine. This worked out fine. Which is they made Pike clearly like his a, a mentor, an old. Maybe he just aged mentor. really poorly in this universe. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite thing about what they did with the Pike character in this movie is that they put him in a wheelchair at the end. Yeah, they put him <laughs> in a wheelchair. It's like we both had like, a chuckle about you that. You have they to had like to poor it, Pike. Right? Yeah. It's the, the Pike truth. Just because he ended up that stupid beepy chair in the original, in the original series because they couldn't get the original actor to come back. Right. <laughs> they, so, yes, all Pikes in all universes. They also, I love I, when I, I laughed out loud when I saw it in they the They also, theater. twice in this movie, he says something like, punch it. And then, of course, you know, our yep. new Pike says, hit it or whatever. <laughs> It. because you can't say punch it because that's a different version right they all have to have like a slogan but it'll never be as good as like just engage make it so. yeah make they it can't so. that's yeah. the problem is they can't yeah. top that one and yeah they get it trying. done yeah, get it done doesn't work either by the way the the funny part about engage is like the original pike actually said engage oh really so mm, yeah he went he wins oh. but whatever no one remembers it's okay he, he had first mover advantage <laughs> right well, I guess we should talk about the big bad who honestly, like, he almost doesn't matter, yeah. right? What we just talked about is the part that almost matters, which is, like, the, the people inhabiting the characters that we love and getting to the point where they can go on a new mission at the, at the you know, end of this movie, basically. But we have to have a reason for all this it's to happen. Like, and that's it's like, it's right like the antagonist here, right? in this movie is just a MacGuffin. Like, it's... Right, because the whole thing... I mean, right, because the red matter is a hell of a MacGuffin, right? We haven't even talked about it, but... That's really the whole MacGuffin of this whole thing is Spock Prime tries to prevent Romulus back in our universe from exploding. He isn't successful. 
and Nero gets wicked pissed and fo- follows him and it's the vengeance None of Nero through vengeance time and space. vengeance themes ever work yeah. out for me. They did the same thing in Beyond. No. And it's like, why is he yeah. vengeful? And why is he ca- carrying out this like very specific directed revenge on people who had nothing to do with what happened to him? Well, but, but Spock Prime did but he's very doing much it to, so have he's like to do with it. He's trying to also destroy Earth and all this. Other. It's like, why? Okay, the... The other thing is, and this is sort of a problem in Demick's time travel stories, is if he has the capacity to travel backwards in time, he could go back to three weeks before Romulus gets destroyed and say, hey, guys, we need to GTFO. Well, wait, no, he he can't travel backwards in time. He only traveled forward in time because he got sucked into the black hole. Oh, that's right. He doesn't really have control over it. Yeah, no. I, but it seems like that would be a better thing forwards. to spend your energy on, right? Just like going to stasis. And it's not forward. It's, Sorry, it's backwards. backwards. But yeah, no, he, he didn't have any control over it. He he was sent there. No, no control and, at all. So he, it was an unintended Yeah, he had no way oh, to okay. do that oh, again. Well. And... well, then I guess that, then never mind. The one thing about Nero that sticks with me is when we first meet him, it's supposed to be like a funny moment. Where he says, I'm Captain Christopher Pike, who are you? And he says, hello, Christopher, I'm Nero. I don't understand what they're thinking with that is because it's not really funny. Yeah. It's just awkward. And, right? and the character is doesn't tell jokes throughout the rest of the movie. He, right, and He's not a particularly well-defined character, like well-drawn character at all. No, he's completely not. two-dimensional. And... and, and and I think that's by design because when you have, then this is one of the challenges that Star Trek runs into is they, when they do movies is they have a big cast for a serialized television format so they can rotate through. And so they can do like a, uh, an episode that's a little more about Scotty this week or episodes a little more about bones next week. Um, but when you try to jam them all into one, two hour story, it's difficult to find time for everyone. And so yeah. If you have a villain who doesn't matter and who doesn't take up a lot of time, then that facilitates that. And so I think that was an, a decision they made. So he's he's uninteresting to serve a greater but, purpose. And I think that but that I just goes against works. screenwriting in general. Like no one, no writer is ever going to say like I'm going to make this character uninteresting. I mean, you have to you have to make every right. character yeah. interesting. Well, and and we should say that Nero is more interesting. There's a yes. lot of stuff cut in deleted yes, scenes like all the, about the Nero. Klingon stuff. And the, um, yeah, yeah, the Klingon prison planet stuff. Oh, right. And then and then unfortunately, now that's deleted scenes. And unfortunately, what really helps, and this this is a, this is a problem, is we, we've actually talked about this with Discovery. How like they felt we almost needed like After Trek to describe things. Unfortunately, there's a little bit of that syndrome here. What really helped is there's a, a semi-canonical, like sort of semi-official prequel mm-hmm. comic. The Countdown? Bob Orsi didn't write. Yeah, did write, in fact, called Countdown. And that actually helps a hell of a lot because what it does is tells us what went on in 2387 back in the 24th century in the prime timeline to try and stop this in the first place. Like, what's Bach Prime do? What's Nero? What did Nero do? Why did this affect Nero? Like, why does Nero take this so personally? You know, yada, yada. A lot of that is fleshed out there. Now, it sucks that you need to read it. And you don't need to read it because really the whole point of this movie is to get our characters where they are and Nero's two-dimensional, whatever. But if you'd like to flesh it out, that's honestly what you need to read. It helps a lot. Hmm. The main thing I remember from that deleted scene with the Klingons is if you look at if you, the, the behind the scenes, it was like a bunch of little boys. And, and for, I'm not sure why they had little boys in masks so you couldn't see their faces because they didn't want to decide if they'd be TOS Klingons or, or the more traditional Klingons we're now used to. 
And so they like shot them in this tiny little tunnel and then they have them walk and they slow and they then they put it in slow motion. So it looks like they're grown men. And I'm not sure why they did that, but it was kind of adorable. Well, they actually have a really great. Yeah, that's weird. But they actually have a fantastic deleted scene with Victor Garber as an interrogator who's so good. Like Victor Garber's got a great voice for it, too. So like who's so good. And so they gave him those cool helmets that they eventually effectively reused again and into darkness um they gave him a cool helmet and a little bit of like nose ridges just in case you could see it through the helmet and like a a beard you know like a sort of a klingon like a very tos sort of klingon beard and that's all you can see of him but he does there's such a cool scene with victor garber who's got a great voice who again you know he's a he's an alias alumnus so of course there's your connection right they came to him and just said hey do you want to do a, a cameo as a klingon you know um, and it's cut, but they're interrogating Miro, and it's it's a good little scene. And so we actually actually cut is we would have seen that thing that Uhura says she caught the transmission because mm. Uhura says, "Oh, I heard that transmission of like you know someone escaping from the Klingon prison planet." We actually would have seen that happen, which is pretty cool. It it's not entirely finished, but a lot of it is there. As to and then uh, right, and then he supposedly spent twenty five years there. That's a pretty big deal. Right. That's it. That I mean, they, they, right. They drop, they just drop that kind of casually. Oh, we've waited 25 years because of that whole, you know, time is crazy and variable. You never know quite where you land. Mm-hmm. Right. So like Spock, you know, pops out 25 years later, but Nero's been waiting for 25 years, stuck in a Klingon Getting prison. Matter and of, matter. You know? It's crazy. Yeah. That's why you supposedly this, this crazy obsessed guy is. Yeah. He sat there and stewed for 25 years. Yeah, that doesn't come across at but, all in the film. No, it doesn't no. come across at all. That's what's too bad is there, there's more of it to flesh that I out, actually but. forgot that he was supposed to be on the prison planet and I thought he was just like off waiting. Like he knew Spock was going to come at this time. So, Because how would he get his ship back? Right. It's not clear at all why. You you just have to know about those deleted scenes. It's, it's too bad. It does help. But yeah, so Nero's kind of two-dimensional. But like we said, he's really like, like this whole movie is just a means to an end. It's just get Kirk Spock, you know, McCoy, Scotty, Sulu, everybody where they're sort of supposed to be, quote mm-hmm. unquote, for the next movie, <laughs> which it does. And it's, and I actually, you know, it's a lot of fun when they get back together and they're all on the bridge about to take off to the next adventure. You do have a lot of like sort of filled with a lot of hope and like you hope this is going to go somewhere cool because they were able to pretty successfully both preserve what went on in the time, prime timeline and also splinter off into the Kelvin timeline and give us a potential for and they, they create a great bond between Kirk and Spock by the end like starting them in conflict and then having them come together was very nicely done yeah it was good and the, 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 the moment where they really sell it is when they're in the uh, the jellyfish thing and, and Kirk is walking away and Spock yells out Jim right that's the first time he calls yeah. him his name yeah. it's the first time he calls perfect. him Jim yeah yeah, so there's a lot of nice moments that even if the movie is a little frustrating, it all adds up to something with like a lot of potential for the next movies. <laughs> now, the next movies are a whole other podcast. Oh, so yeah. But, 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 it, but it does. There's a really, it's, it's a really great setup. I remember yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. like coming out of the theater, thinking this could really go somewhere. Like, okay, I didn't like the, the shortcuts they took, but whatever. Yeah, here, exactly. I'm really hoping this goes somewhere cool. This could really go somewhere I like the cast. I like, you know, whatever. I hope this goes somewhere. Well said. Yeah, I think that's, like, for for what flaw? Like, it's a, it's a good movie in a lot of ways, and it has some flaws, but for the flaws it has, 
Um, I was happy at the, you know at the time to overlook them because I thought it did such a great job. Like I said, I thought that the the um, mechanism they used to create a new universe for themselves without being boxed into the TOS canon was genius. Um, and it yeah. got to the characters to where they were quote unquote supposed to be. It set up this great it, like the world was now our oyster for new Trek movies, mm. new friend, you know. Yeah, totally like. Yeah, I was, was yeah. It back on new TV? sandbox. I was yeah, so was, excited yeah. walking out of that movie. Just so excited yeah. because I thought they know they love Star Trek. Thank goodness it's back. People are going. People are. It's going to get popular again. I mean, I was yeah. very, very happy. Yep. And I was. Along those lines, I was expecting it to, there to be movies like every two years, right? Like I was. Ex- well, and I think that was the intention too. And then it yeah, just, it's a shame know, that that didn't work slipping. out. Yeah, because there was the same amount of time between this and Into Darkness as between this and the end of Enterprise, which is staggering to right. think. And of course, that was not their intention, obviously, yeah. to do that. But um, one thing I want to say is this whole reinvigoration thing is this is also a fantastic time to be a Chucky like. Um, because 2009 was such a cool year because because this franchise was reinvigorated people were feeling like we're spending money on legacy trek stuff so all of the first like movies all those movies came out on blu-ray um this is the same time that back in the cbs land like cbs was happily releasing um all of tos remastered on blu-ray in 2009 and there was a lot of good stuff going on like it was a really exciting time to have like to be a Trekkie because people, you know, because there was a lot of hype around it. So then people were willing to spend money on the back catalog of Trek, which is really great. Mm-hmm. And then it all fizzled out again, of course. Mm. But in 2009, it was really yeah. exciting. There was a lot going on. And um, we haven't seen really, we really haven't seen quite that much money thrown behind things and quite that much excitement thrown behind stuff since. Discovery has been close. There's been a lot of resurgence of stuff. I don't know, Picard like, maybe. In, I mean, in terms of excitement. Well, that's. Well, but yeah. I so think we'll people are nervous that. about I mean, Picard. Like, but I mean, like corporate. Sure. I mean, like corporate money too, like merch and. Sure, stuff like uh, that. of course. We'll, we'll of see course where Picard right. goes. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, Picard. I think is our next. I think Picard is the next big thing. I think. I think, like for example, since we're recording this in June, I imagine next month we'll see some stuff from Comic Con, and we may start to get a whole. You know, this may become another glory year, but 2009 was really unlike anything else. In really modern Trek. This, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. In the 21st yeah. century of Trek so far, it, it really is an interesting time. And if four years from now, you can look forward to our Into Darkness podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I just want to interject because it's, it's like I say, it's the 25th of June and the third season of Stranger Things is going to drop in a week or two. Um, I think that Winona Ryder's uh, role as Amanda may have keyed her up to get that role in Stranger Things. I don't know because if she's did. a wacko. <laughs> she, she she might be a wacko, yeah. but I I did enjoy seeing her in this and in yeah, yeah and she, she's she's another person I I liked her in this and again there's deleted scenes with Amanda she she got shortchanged yeah. in it. There are nice deleted scenes of Spock's birth that they that they shot. So we got we would have seen a young Amanda. You know, Winona Ryder like without yep. old age makeup. Imagine that. Um, and there is even a thing where she gives birth, and they they even have the kind of thing where, um, kind of like Star Trek Five. There's even a mention that he seems a little human and stuff. Like there there's a little bit of that. You know, they lay that groundwork that there's a little bit of bias against Spock 
his whole life. But they do know? have that nice moment um, in the deleted scene where he says, where Sarek says, he has your eyes. And she says, he has your ears. And the baby has these little pointed ears. And they're so cute. Yeah, it's oh, it's, it's okay. very cute. All right. That is, that is the, the <laughs> reminds me of the scene in Adam's Family Values when Gomez says of their new baby, he has my father's eyes. And Morticia says, Gomez, take those out of his mouth. <laughs> that's classic yeah. Jared you always have the most random references to movies <laughs> yeah, I have to say you always just throw in some movie from out of the blue usually that I've never seen like that one oh. <laughs> well uh, I'll take that as a compliment it is a compliment <laughs> that's funny alright well other than that I think we can um, close the book on this and put it back on the shelf that's uh, episode 68 of the Shuttle Pod. Thanks for coming with us. Uh, I particularly appreciate a chance to go down memory lane with uh, Matt and Kayla about their role in keep in, in helping um, perform their own labor of love with getting Trek Movie up and running. <laughs> yeah, that was so fascinating. Thanks, thanks for everything you guys have done. Yeah, it's been, it's been a great ride. All righty. Well, um, we will. Uh, thanks for those for everyone who stayed with us all the you know all ninety minutes we've been talking, and we will uh, see you guys next time. All right, bye, all right, bye, bye everybody. everybody.